Thank you so much for that prayer, Kent, and the passage that Kent read for us from Philippians chapter 2 is actually a perfect introduction to what I want to share with you. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 13, and we are going to look at verses 1 through 11. The Gospel of John chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. We come back this morning to the Gospel of John after having a break last week. Uh, We had the Gideons International with us, and... uh, thoroughly enjoyed their presentation last week, but now we come back to the Gospel of John, and we are looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture. But what I want to challenge all of us with this morning is that this passage may be even more important than we've thought in the past. It is important, but maybe even more important than we've ever seen before. In John chapter 13, we read this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Well, our first point this morning is a crucial transition. As I mentioned in my last message from the Gospel of John, chapter 12 describes the end of Jesus' public ministry, and chapter 13 begins a new section of John. This is the beauty of preaching through an entire book of the Bible. There are different ways that pastors approach their sermon series, but My preference has always been to go through books of the Bible. And this is the very reason why, because we get to see the whole of the Gospel of John and how this falls into place here. In verses 13 through 17, we have Jesus focusing now on his disciples. And if you were to kind of break down the Gospel of John, chapters 1 through 4 are the foundation and introduction. 
chapters 5 through 12 are his public ministry and his many conflicts with the Jewish religious leaders. Chapters 13 through 17, those five chapters focus on Jesus' ministry specifically to his disciples. And chapters 18 through 21 focus on the cross, the events before the cross itself and the events after. That's basically how the Gospel of John divides out. And John chapters 13 through 17 are a precious part of the New Testament. Precious. Describing the depth of Jesus' love for his followers. And as we go through these five chapters in the weeks to come, I want you to see this isn't just written to his disciples or about his disciples. It's written to us. It's written to you. It's written to me. These are precious chapters for us as disciples and followers of Jesus. And what I want you to see as we go through all five of these chapters is that Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and his resurrection. His death is going to be excruciating for his disciples. They are going to be afraid. They are going to be disillusioned. They are going to be confused. And he wants them to know that he loves them. We'll look at that in just a few minutes, but he wants them to know that he loves them. In chapters 5 through 12, we had Jesus having these ongoing conflicts with the Jewish religious leaders. We spent a lot of time on that. We went in depth on that. That was the crux of his public ministry. And in the midst of that, he was doing all kinds of signs, all kinds of miracles. But now the tone is different. The tone is very loving and very tender. And let us be thankful to God for that. Our God is a God of love and a God of tenderness. He loves and bears with his own. Now, everything in chapter 13 hinges on the fact that Jesus is the majestic, sovereign God of heaven and earth. That's what Kent was referring to before he prayed, and rightly so. These first three verses really set us up for all of chapter 13, but especially for these first 11 verses. In verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, you need to know, I need to know, every reader of the Gospel of John needs to know, at this point, Jesus is about to go to the cross. These five chapters actually encompass very little time, approximately a day. So Passover is coming, and Jesus is going to give his life as the last, final, once-for-all sacrifice. The final Passover lamb is going to be sacrificed, and it is Jesus. And that is about to happen. And it says, When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And again, this is so helpful as you preach or study or teach through an entire book of the Bible. In chapters 5 through 12, we saw repeatedly where the Jewish religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. But what did it say? His hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. They couldn't touch him. 
because it wasn't time, but I want everyone here this morning to know it's time now. The time has come. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. When it says he loved them to the end, that phrase actually is the strongest possible emphasis on love that is found in the entire Greek language. It is not possible to love another person more than Jesus is about to love them. He loved those who were, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He is about to show them deep, sacrificial, humble love. A love that will help them endure the cross and a love that will go on into eternity. He's loving them not only to the end of his life, he's loving them to the end of the end. And then it says in verse 2, during supper, Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover supper. And we'll see this through most of these five chapters. And this is a significant, important transition in this New Testament book and in the New Testament timeline. This is the last, folks, this is the last Passover supper because the Passover supper, as you may know, will now become the Lord's Supper. It will now become communion. They are sharing table bread together, the cup together, Jesus and his disciples And then it says, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. This is important this morning. Judas is there. Jesus will wash the feet of his betrayer. Jesus will show love to his betrayer. And it says that he's Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Now, as I was studying that this week, I found that interesting. Why does the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tell us it's Simon's son? Why do we need to know that? Why didn't you just say Judas Iscariot, the one who was going to betray him? Here's why I think it's included. Because John wants you to know and he wants me to know. This is somebody's son. This is an ordinary person just like you. Just like me. Judas Iscariot was no different than you and no different than me. And that is frightening. Because it says the devil put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Satan put it into the heart of an ordinary man to betray Jesus. Now, Judas is fully responsible for his actions. I've shared this with you before. Satan can only do what you allow him to do. He can't force you to do anything. But let every single one of us, and I mean every single one of us, including me, 
have the fear of God in our hearts of what happens when someone rejects the gospel repeatedly and when someone denies the free gift of salvation of Jesus repeatedly. Judas had allowed himself to become an instrument of Satan. And in verse 3 it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Powerful verse. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given everything into his hands, and I mean everything in the universe, knowing that he had come from heaven and was going back to heaven, having full knowledge of that, being completely cognizant of all of that. He knew clearly he was the king of kings and the lord of lords and the ruler of the universe. He knew clearly he was the creator of heaven and earth the creator of every atom, the creator of every molecule, the creator of every single person who's listening to this. He knew that he had caused the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the mute to talk. He knew that he had cast out demons and rebuked demons. He knew that he had ordered the winds and the waves to obey him. And knowing all of that, he's going to humble himself and wash his disciples' feet. So our second point this morning is love and humility in action. John 13, 4 through 11 describes one of the most extraordinary acts of love and humility that we have in the Bible. John MacArthur goes so far as to say this, He says, Jesus washing the disciples' feet is the greatest single act of sacrificial love found in the entire Bible except the cross. The greatest act of sacrificial love found in the entire Bible except the cross. And as I mentioned earlier, this is all leading to the cross. I'll mention this again at the end, but everything here is preparing his disciples and preparing us as we read through the Gospel of John. It is preparing us for the cross. In verses 4 and 5, it says, Rose from supper. God rose from supper. We're reminded of that song, Behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. That's who rose from supper. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We've heard that so many times. We've probably watched movies or television shows that depict that in some way or another. 
but I want you to think of it. And some of this I know you already know, but I just want to share it with you again. First of all, this was very common in the culture to have your feet washed. It was an everyday, many times a day occurrence. If you didn't ride on an animal, you walked. And most people walked wherever they went on dirt roads. They would walk through dusty roads. They would walk in mud. So when you would go to someone's home, the first thing that you would have done is you would have your feet washed. This happened all the time. But the person who would wash your feet when you entered into a Jewish home or really any home at this time, the person who would wash your feet would be a servant, but not just a servant, the lowest servant possible. If there was any kind of hierarchy of the servants in the home, the lowest servant, the very lowest servant of all is the one who would wash your feet. Often in the Roman culture, it would be a slave. Understanding slavery in the Roman culture, not exactly like slavery was in our country, a little different, but it would be the lowliest servant who would wash your feet. This was the job of the lowliest of the low. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus, when he takes off his garment, ties that towel around his waist. It was actually a long linen cloth. He was taking the position of the very lowliest possible servant. Just as Kent read from Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, God himself, took the very nature of a servant when he came to us. But not only that, I want you to think about this. If we were to put all four Gospels together, together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we would find that just before this takes place, his disciples were arguing with one another. And do you know what they were arguing about? Who's the greatest? Just before this scene takes place, John doesn't record it, but the other gospel writers do. They were arguing with one another, who's the greatest? The mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, comes to Jesus shortly before this takes place and says, Jesus, when you get to your glory, I want my two sons to sit on each side of you, one on the right and one on the left. So everybody's thinking about how great they are. What's going to be my position when we get to glory someday? And Jesus, the supreme ruler of all things, the supreme ruler of the universe, becomes the lowliest slave and servant and washes their feet. It's amazing. The disciples got this. We don't get to see their faces but I think they were all in shock. But we do get to listen to Peter. And in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? This isn't a casual, Lord, you washing my feet? This is, Lord, Jesus, 
You're going to wash my feet? In this culture at this time, and you may know this, but there were many rabbi itinerant preachers who were traveling around, and they, they all had disciples. And a rabbi would never, ever wash anyone's feet. His students would never, ever wash anyone's feet. That was just way beneath them. That would be considered humiliating. And the greatest rabbi of them all comes to Peter. He says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter, I know. You don't understand what I'm doing right now, but someday you're going to understand. When I die, when I rise again, when I'm seated at the right hand of the Father on high, when I send to you the Holy Spirit who will indwell you, then you will understand. And we know from the book of Acts, and we know from First and Second Peter, he did understand. Then he did understand why Jesus did what he did. So in verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. He becomes even more adamant. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now here we see very clearly that Jesus is not simply talking about the washing of feet. Jesus is giving an important spiritual lesson on the salvation of the human soul on their salvation, on our salvation, a very important lesson. Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What he is saying here is, if you receive me as Lord and Savior, if the blood that I will shed cleanses you from all of your sins, you belong to me. But if I do not wash you, if you are not cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, then you have no share with me. If I do not wash you, notice he's not just talking about feet here. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You aren't saved. Verse 9. Peter gets it. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And this is so Peter. We see him in the New Testament as being so impetuous, so emotional. So emotional. So easily goes from one end of the spectrum to the other, and he does it here. You're never going to wash my feet. Okay, give me a whole bath. If that's what it means to be yours, then Jesus, give me a whole bath here. And that brings us to a very important verse, and that's verse 10. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. There's actually a great biblical and theological lesson here. 
If you were alive at this time in history, if you lived in a Jewish home, every morning you would get up and you would take a full bath. Then you would go about your business that day. And you would go from home to home and you wouldn't take a bath again. You would just have your feet washed. So once you took a full bath, all you needed to do was have your feet washed. Taking a bath here refers to coming to Christ as Lord and Savior. There must be a time in your life when you received Christ, invited him to come into your life, repented of your sin, and said, Lord, I give you my life. I surrender it to you as Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want you to sit on the throne of my life. That's what he's referring to when he says, if you've had a bat. Now, once you come to know Christ, you are clothed in his righteousness. You are completely clean. But after that, we still live in fallen bodies in a fallen world. And so we still need to have our feet cleaned. We still need to have relational forgiveness on a daily basis. If there's something between me and my Lord, if there's something between me and someone else, if there is secret sin hidden in my heart and mind, I need to confess that, and I need to do that daily. Daily, I need to have my feet washed. It's the difference between what we call in theology our position and our practice. Our position is one of righteousness before God because we're in Christ. But practically, every day, we need to be confessing and repenting those things that hinder our full walk with God, our joy and pleasure in him. One of the great verses on this in all of the New Testament is a verse that probably many of you have memorized, and that's 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It literally reads, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to keep on forgiving us our sins and to keep on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. It's a continuous act that happens on a daily basis. Now, I know many Christians use 1 John 1, 9, in their evangelism, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you read 1 John chapter 1, he's not writing to unbelievers, he's writing to believers, he's writing to you, he's writing to me, he's writing to those people who are already clean. And he says, keep on, keep on confessing your sins, and if you do, I will keep on forgiving your sins and keep on cleansing you from all unrighteousness. And so the question this morning is this, Have you had a bath, spiritually speaking? Have you had your bath? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've acknowledged your sin and asked Christ to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, that's step one. That's a step Judas never took. And then once you come to him, once you come to him, let him wash our feet every day. Every single one of us, let us, wa- let us 
Let Jesus wash our feet every day. Let us keep on confessing our sins so that he can keep on forgiving our sins and keep on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Well, at the end of verse 10, Jesus says, and you are clean. What a beautiful statement. Peter, you're clean. But then he says this, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus clearly says, Judas Iscariot is not clean. Now remember, Judas is there. He washed the feet of Judas. Judas is sitting right there as he says all of this. Two things. Two things. One, Judas Iscariot was never saved. Never saved. And that ought to frighten us. Because he walked with Jesus and he talked with Jesus. He saw all of Jesus' miracles, or most of them. He heard Jesus' teaching, but never sincerely embraced him as Lord and Savior. Make sure, folks, make sure you have sincerely invited Christ to come into your life. And if you're not sure, make sure. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, I personally believe that this is Jesus' final pleading with Judas, come to me. I think by saying what he said, he is sending an arrow straight into the heart of Judas, a gospel arrow right into the heart of Judas, and pleading with him not to go through with what he was planning. Loving him, even though he know he knew that Judas planned to betray him. What a scene. The king of glory, the transcendent majestic God of all heaven and earth, takes off his outer garment, puts on a towel, and washes and dries each of his disciples' feet. I want to give you all a challenge this morning. From time to time, you just need to open your Bible to John 13 and get a good look at Jesus. Just from time to time, open up to this passage and get a good look at your Savior. I want you to see your Savior Savior, clothed like a slave, clothed like the lowliest possible servant. I want you to see your Savior kneeling, washing dirt off the feet of sinful men. Today's passage is the ultimate example of servant leadership and how brothers and sisters in Christ ought to love one another. Apart from the cross, you will find no greater example than this. This is for every pastor on how to lead. This is for every elder. It is for every deacon. It is for every Sunday school teacher. It is for every small group leader. It is for every Awana worker. It is for every Beacon of Hope worker. It is for every Christian business owner. It is for every Christian business manager or supervisor. And for every Christian employee, wherever you may work, this is for you. This is what it means to be a servant leader. This is what it means to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. This passage is not about foot washing. 
There's been a debate for centuries on whether or not churches should actually practice foot washing in their services. And if somebody does that, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But that's missing the whole point. This was simply used as an example and illustration. Today it would be something completely different that Jesus would use. We'd have to think of the lowliest possible thing that a person could do. This passage is about exercising great humility and love toward others, especially our fellow believers. This passage is about loving those who are hard to love. This is about loving others who disagree with you. I won't preach another sermon on what we've been going through with COVID, but this passage is about loving those who disagree with you. This passage is about loving those who have hurt you. This passage is about loving those with whom you have nothing in common but loving them for the sake of the gospel. That's what this passage is about. And on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, let us love the least of these. Let us love the most helpless defenseless, innocent among us, and that is the unborn. Let us love them. Let us sacrificially love them and do everything we can to give them the breath of life. Never, never think that you are too good for any act of ministry. Sometimes when we get a certain amount of Bible knowledge and a certain amount of theology in our brains, we think, you know, I'm, I'm just a little too good for that. Don't ask me to teach fourth grade. I've got a Bible certificate. Don't ask me to work with the little children. I want that deep theological interaction with the adults. And I'll tell you what, every pastor including me, put myself at the top of the list. Every pastor needs to read this over and over again. Over and over again. This is what it means to lead a church. This is what it means to be a true leader. But also, please keep in mind that the Gospel of John and Jesus himself are preparing us for the cross. All of this is preparing us for the cross, which will be the ultimate greatest act of humility and sacrificial love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the example of our Savior Jesus. His servant leadership and his great humility show all of us how we should serve one another. By the enablement of your Holy Spirit, Lord, by the enablement of your Holy Spirit, help us to be just like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.